coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting. The International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Well, our guest today, Angus Monroe, is an artist that has encrypted a message in his work from early on, and every piece he touches carries harmonic tones of transformation, not only for us, but for Mother Earth. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula, and I'm Paula. I'm Taz and Paula. I feel like I need to play a drum roll here because when I accidentally came across Angus's work, I was literally spellbound by it. I, I could hardly, hardly, I, I could feel his artwork it, it, that was laid down on the ocean beds and snow fields pulsing and merging with Mother Earth and my entire body as well. What can I say? Mother Earth loves his sculpting. <laughs> it feels as though his work supports her to easily release and embed more love within each of our very own body energetics. I'm going to call it at one minute atonement. Um, well, I just had to release my thoughts here, Paula. So now a little background. Angus Monroe has taught studio arts in um, stone, glass, metal, and work for over 30 years. Uh, beginning his career teaching at the New York Experimental Glass Workshop, uh, Urban Glass in New York City. His classes have been with students from Parsons and the New School, uh, NYU, Pratt, FIT, Hunter College, and Columbia University in New York City. Uh, Vermont College in their Masters of Fine Art in the Visual Art Program, now Vermont College of Fine Art, uh, Castleton State, Green Mountain College, and Goddard College in Vermont. He currently is the academic instructor teaching stone and wood carving at the Carving Studio and Sculpture Center. Um, his own work crosses boundaries of disciplines. It incorporates the four elements of earth, air, fire, water, and it includes the stone, wood, glass, and the earth we stand upon. Pretty amazing. Yes. And his 2012 worldwide spiraling event in 320 places around the world, six different continents, used social media to promote the development of synchronistic worldwide spiraling with shamans and artists. He has worked with the elders from the, the Mi'kmaq Nation, shamans from the U.S. and Canada, spiritualists from all over the world, and recently was a speaker representing the interject, energetic spiritual practices at Interface Symbolism on Faith 
Space, Our Children, and Climate Change. Well, Angus, you must have um, a really busy, super schedule, and we are so lucky to um, have you, and you allowed us into your busy schedule to be with us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? Oh, great. Uh, yes, I can. Yes. Now, awesome. um, I just wanted to check to make sure it was working properly. Now, Chas was telling me how you uh, your artwork is um, interfaces with shamanic practices. Um, when did you start um, becoming interested in the shamanic work and, and incorporating it in, in your artwork? Well, I began um, studying shamanism in my early years of college. Um, I was I went to Goddard College in the 1970s. And I was exposed to lots of, you know, various psychological theories about shamanism and about alternative um, consciousness. And prior to that, when I was a small child, I grew up in communes and um, was was the prodigy of a early 60s bohemian lifestyle. And so my exposure was very early on. So actually, you may have, you were into shamanism maybe even before your artwork. Are you saying that? I would say way before my artwork. Um, my my shaman choices or my um, my exposure to people who were practicing alternative consciousness and. If in the 1960s, the early 1960s, my family moved from Cincinnati to, um, to New York State to live in a small commune called The Land. Um, a number of fairly well-known people passed through The Land at the times that I was there. Um, some of the more famous ones were people like John Cage and, and the Vanderbeeks, um, people who, um, who were artists to begin with, but who were practicing alternative forms of art. Um, a lot of them later became parts of the Fluxus movement. I don't know if anyone knows of what that is. The Fluxus movement took art from, from the visual and externally experiential to the, the immediately experiential and that the art itself was less important than the experience. A lot of times people put together happenings during that period of time, and a lot of those happenings were originated out of a group of people in upstate New York, just outside of New York City, um, which is where, where the land was. And a lot of them were very experiential, very intuitive people who were practicing shamanism of a different sort before it was popular, much more of an intuitive field of shamanism than any kind of later forms that became the formal shamanism that we hear of today. Wow, what an experience to grow up in. <laughs> you must true. feel very fortunate, yes. Yeah, I, I, had an amazing, I had an amazing growth when I was a child. I, I had a lot of experiences. I had a lot of exposure. 
was your family into any of the, any part of this that you've brought into your life now? Um, I'm not sure what you mean by that, but um, I'm, I'm well, your father, mother, you know, the father mother background. Were were they also involved in um, touching touching Mother Earth in a different way than normal? Well, my mom for sure. Uh, my dad, somewhat more conservative, though he was also into psychology. He um, he you know realmed more in scientific and practical realms. And mom was much more of an artist and experiential person. Um, her exposure or her, my exposure through her was much more oriented towards experiencing the earth and experiencing each emotional moment completely. Um, so you're connecting, you've connected with um, shamans. So in the original shamanistic work, uh, you said it's different than what we know it as today. Um, how was it different? Well, the Fluxus movement was different than, than the shamanism movement of today. A lot of our current values of shamanism today come from Harned's West Coast kind of core shamanism um, um, hype and, and production. Um, they do a lot of teaching of how to do double drumming and drumming and how to go into shamanic states of mind through sonics. A lot of the exposure that I had in my early years was much more intuitive and much more um, aligned with, I would say, real further back classic kind of village shamanism where people were trying to change the world but they were trying to change it through experiencing alternate states of consciousness through drugs and through other you know, other things than the sonics that the Harned movement kind of has generated. Um, classic shamanism were always classic shamans were always the people in a village who would heal the village from the traumas that may be occurring on a day-to-day basis. For example, if there's a sickness running through the community and they can address it from a psychological profile, then it is something that um, that they do. Um, shamans today much more often are working with an individual doing soul retrievals and that sort of thing, which may have been part of the original shamanism, but it was always much more of a community orientation than, um, than, than the trained shamans of the day today. There are a lot of, of us who work in the energy world who are focused on the earth and on the earth's uh, healing. And, and that is to a really, really big extent. To a really, really big extent, that is a, an important part of my work. So in your work, you're actually uh, healing the earth. Is that part of your, your work? That's a big part of what I do. It's, it's, 
when I do the Earth Arts Spiral Practice, which is one of my major practices today, I will go and I will bring my intention to bear on spiral that I am creating, thus sending my energetic flow into the flow of the Earth. If I do a clockwise rotation or away from it, pulling out of the Earth, if I do a counterclockwise rotation, so that I can then take Earth energies and try to send a combination of my energies and the Earth energies back to heal a trauma that has occurred in a specific location or to take the energy from the Earth and try to use it to try to supercharge the intention that I'm putting out to heal someone else or to heal something else. A great example of that is um, this fall I had a relationship that had gone into sort of a stasis space and I really wanted to finish and reclaim or, or culminate that relationship. And so I had been carving a spiral or I had been carving a Angus, can you please talk directly into your mouthpiece because you're going in and out. I'm sorry. Is this better? Yes. Yes. Um, I am. I, I was carving a sculpture that was a cathartic piece, and as soon as I started carving the final spiral on it, that was to finish or culminate the relationship. Halfway through the, the spiral, the person that I had been involved with called me, and it was such a moment of recognition of how integrated the energy that I was putting out there and the spiral form, and how the energy of the earth was inculcating itself into the work that I was doing. Wow. I, I wonder if a lot of artists um, do this unconsciously. I mean, their, their, their art becomes a, a healing mechanism. Because I've seen it in some artists, and I believe that they're doing healing through their uh, artwork. But they're not as conscious of it as you are. Well, as I was saying, I've, I've been intending or using intention within my work for a long time. And I think that that does separate my work a little bit from some of the other people. There are other artists who, who intentionally do exactly the same thing that I'm doing. Um, there, is a, there is a painter, and I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, um, but he uses, he paints, images of his client. He's a psychologist who's using painting and intention in his work, and he uses the intention, and he paints these pictures of his client, and then he sends them to the client with the intention inculcated into the, into the artwork, which is a really beautiful, beautiful way of approaching the intentionality in one's art. I think that the vast majority of artists do this subconsciously. They take their art and they're attempting really, really strongly to um, to to provide healing of some sort, or at least to create change of some sort. And that that by by their intention, subconscious or conscious, they are making changes using their work. My work, as I've said, begins with that intention, and then. The follow-through is from a trans state into the spiral form. Wow. So I was going to ask you, and you answered my question. I was going to ask you if you went into a trans state, and you, you just now answered that. 
I do. I do. With, with every spiral that I do, I go into a trance state. However, because the trance state, after 30 years of practicing shamanic energy work, it is almost an instantaneous altered state of consciousness that I can get into. Um, with certain things, when I need to go into a deeper state of alternative consciousness, I'll use my, my shaman's drum, or I, will, I have a gesture that I use to trigger an alternative state of consciousness that is somewhat of a protected state, so that if I am interacting with somebody and their energy is dangerously wild, I can transcend that energy and still be compassionate with them without getting swept along by their, their intentions. What about when you, um, you do workshops and things like that? Are you able to uh, instill within your students connecting in the fashion that you connect with as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I did a, 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 labyrinth, a series of labyrinth workshops this past spring, and the goal of that was to help people understand the intuition and the bringing of the intuition into, into the labyrinth and into their their chosen pathway through the labyrinth, or I also demonstrated spiraling for them. Um, but yes, that is something that I do definitely bring to those workshops. I am also doing a workshop this, this summer on um, sacred geometry within stonework. So I'm teaching a course on stonework, but I am also um, incorporating sacred geometry within that stonework course. Wow, I, uh, <laughs> that'd be a wonderful workshop. I mean, do you have to have a, um, a artist background in order to take that workshop? No, not 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 at all. Um, it's it will it's through the website that I think is also going to be posted on your website, which is the Carving Studio and Sculpture Center in West Rutland, Vermont. Yes, it is. You know, this is pretty incredible if you just stop and think about it. I was thinking about um, uh, the different disciplines that you use, like blowing glass or working with stone. They're so... My gosh, they're so different. One is, you know, you, the glass environment is so hot to be able to bend and mold, and the and the stonework is like chisel, chisel. I mean, it's like how from one element to the other, it's it's just you know amazing. And, and you work with you know fire and. Um, and I did a lot of work with water as well. I, I actually was altering and changing small bits of current in rivers so that the river could become healthier. I don't know if you have ever heard of um, Victor Schau... Uh, uh, boy, drawing a blank on his last name. I hate that. Um, he created philosophy in the late 1800s and early uh, 20th century um, regarding vortex energy in water. Uh, and if you look up vortex energy, you'll also see Victor Schauberger's name come up. Um, 
And and his philosophy was that the the water in its healthiest state goes through a series of vortexes. Talk into the microphone, please. Oh, I'm sorry. I let it drop again. (laughs) Is that better? Hear you, so you need to be able to do that consistently, please. Okay. So the uh, it kind of goes along with the philosophy that dowsers use. They they are able to change water with their intentions. Exactly. So, what is the biggest project you've ever worked on? Uh, <laughs> well, that's a really challenging, challenging one to answer. I think that, that I think recently the worldwide um, spiral project was one of the biggest that I've worked on, and that was um, setting up a intentional spiraling to occur all at the same hour, um, all around the world, and. We got, as I said, 320 different sites on six different continents. We missed Antarctica. We tried to get a friend down there to work on it, but she had just come back from Antarctica. So we missed Antarctica. Um, but every other continent seemed to have um, someone doing a spiral at that time, which was very, very impressive. Um, a lot of people who were involved in that felt the shift and felt the energy from that just flowing, and I think that that's probably one of the largest, if you think of it as geological. I think some of the largest projects that I've worked on in other areas have been museum exhibitions and the work that I do with students all the time. I think that the individual work that I do with an individual person, to me, is more important than any grandiose um, worldwide project, but each one has its own value. Now, when I, ever since I was a little girl, I always made spirals all over, you know, on paper, just doodling. What's the uh-huh. significance? What is the significance of the spiral? <laughs> <laughs> it's, an interesting, it's an interesting question. The spiral is one of our most primal forms. In every plant that we see growing naturally in ancient symbolism, things drawn on walls, things carved in stone. The spiral is one of the most ancient of forms, and it's because it's a naturally occurring form. Water, which is in everything, generates its own special inherent energetic form or force through vortex motion, and a vortex is nothing more than a spiral, generally in cone shape. Um, whirlpools in water, uh, the, the twirling on trees, um, flowers almost invariably put out their petals in a spiral form. The sunflower is a spiral to the center of the sunflower. Um, what is the symbolism of it? Um, it's so ancient, it's so primal, and it's so sacred, and it's very difficult to put a pin into that. I was that time. Um, every element of our existence has liquid, has water in it to some extent. Astrophysicists and astronomers are looking for planets based on their water 
based on whether they have water or not, to believe that life occurs with water. And water forms its power through this spiral form. And I believe that energy flowing, inherent energetics is what I call it, but energy flowing throughout every aspect of the universe is constantly flowing in a spiral form. And so all of our energy, all of our flows and all of our intentions and all of our actions move forward in something of a spiral. Our lives move forward in a spiral. When I think of spirals, I, you know, first of all, you, it's like riding, you, you go forward, but then when you reverse it like counterclockwise, I feel like the spiral is breaking up situations and that kind of thing, you know, um, uh, opening up areas. I, I don't know, does that any, do, I, do, is that any kind of feelings that you have as you work forward in some of these materials? And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting what you have such vacillation in what you can sculpt in or sculpt with. Uh, it, it's really, uh, it, it's deep into the soul as you begin to feel some of these things within yourself. When you're working with them, it must be incredible. And maybe working with more than one one um, kind of t- material at, at one time, you know? Right. Um, it, it seems like you've sort of encapsulated two pieces of a puzzle right there. And the two pieces are that spiraling is, you know, there's a counterclockwise and a clockwise rotation for spiraling, and that each one of those things does a different thing. I like to think of the spiral that goes in or the clockwise rotation on a spiral as being something being pulled in or, or drawn into the center, and that the counterclockwise spiral is pushing energy out. And it's not always that it's assembling or breaking apart as which direction you want your flow to go. Because when you stand above a spiral on the ground, you're only above it. But in reality, the spiral is below the ground as well. And that spiral can be viewed if you were to turn yourself around and peer at it from underneath. That spiral is then going the other direction, at least as far as as the energetics of it are. And yeah. so and so when you when you take a look at the spiral itself, the inward or the outward motion of that energy is not necessarily a negative or a positive. It is it is a direction or a or, or a way of pulling that flow into a into an intention. It is also really to look at the different materials that you use as to what their elements are going to do and how those elements are going to play into the energetics of what you're working with. For me, the most important aspect of the spiral work that I do is not the earth art that I do, and it is not you know, the fact that I have incorporated so many different elements into it, it is the energy work that I do. It is the way that work pulls or draws energy into or away from the universe and what that energy feeds into that's the most important aspect of what the work I'm doing in. So, yes, I, inc- I incorporate a lot of different materials, but they unquestionably 
are thought out very carefully. So you do a lot of work on the beaches. I mean, I I, from your work I do here. a lot of work on beaches. I do. The convenience of sand is so much fun to work with, and that's really the truth of that. I love working in a material that shows itself up so quickly. Instant satisfaction. <laughs> Instant satisfaction, absolutely. But it's also often when I go to a beach and I'm walking around on a beach or a, or a children's playground, and I do a lot more work in children's playgrounds than I do in beaches because I find that there are small spots of trauma that I can release. As a shaman, one of my biggest tasks has always been to release trapped energies. And often when, when there's sickness in a person, it's because there's an energy that has been trapped in that person. And often that energy can be released by just addressing it and saying, hey, go free, because the energy wants to flow. In a playground, a child can fall down and get hurt, or its parent can yell at it, or you know, other kids can bully it, or whatever. And that trauma gets stored right there in that spot for a really, really long time, and I'm sensitive, and I walk into a playground, and I feel these thoughts. And when I walk through a playground, and I feel a thought, and I go, okay, let me put a spiral right here to get that spot free. That's, that's kind of what I do universally. Lately, I've been working on state government. I put a spiral on the state house lawn this past week that was probably one of the largest spirals I've ever put in hopes that it can help smooth the energies of of our interface between people and government. Well, maybe you should go make one in Washington D.C. <laughs> someone yeah. recently, someone recently posted that that I should do that, and I posted back that in the worldwide event, two spirals were made in front of the White House. Oh. In that in that event. That's which perfect. Which is very cool to me. Yeah. Yes, we probably need to do a little bit more of that. Not now, the, you know where we've had when we've had civil war. Um, have you done any, you know, with the battlefields? Have you done any work in the battlefields? I I haven't actually. Um, I never really have thought about that, and that would be a really interesting use of my energies and time. Um, there's, I'm certain whole lot of different places that I could apply my energies along those lines. And certainly the Civil War was a, was a huge one for the United States, but every day we have wars that are going on right now all over the world, and that's the kind of energy that I like to see healing, the current things. The history is important to heal to release those trapped energies, and I think that that may be a part of my responsibility in the universe but I think that I also am training a lot of other people to go out and do it as well, which I'm hoping we'll see much broader base than it currently has. Now, can you? I know uh, dowsers can work over a map, and they can um, put their intentions on a map. Have you ever worked over a map? And I call that and um, long distance dowsing, and or instrumentless dowsing. Both of those two forms of dowsing, to me, are very, very effective tools, and I use them all the time. Um, instrumentless dowsing is when you douse without a tool. Um, a couple of years ago, when I was a student 
doing my MFA work at Goddard College, I did a workshop on dowsing and taught about six people who came to the workshop how to douse, and then I demonstrated instrumentless dowsing to myself for them so that they could see how it worked for me because they were curious about that as well. You can do intentional work anywhere you want to, from my opinion. I think that it takes practice to learn how to be sensitive. Once you've got the sensitivity, once you understand and feel the energy around you in ways that allows you to open up to it and recognize it, acknowledge it, and adjust it, then it doesn't matter what frame of reference you are because we are all inherently connected. We are all inherently the energy of the universe is all inherently always in the flow. And if you can go into that energy and feel it and adjust it, it doesn't matter where you are. So your intentions, like like on, on the uh, White House lawn and things like that, I mean, it's, it's like you could draw a small one on the outside. The intentions would be perhaps a larger one. Does, does that work, your intention of what you want to accomplish according to size? Um. I'm not sure I'm following what you mean by that. If you if you were unable to, um, you know, make make the circle large um, because of you know someone not wanting you to be in that area, could you make it small and with your intention it would still do its job? Certainly. Yeah. Certainly, you can you can adjust. You can make your intention be as broad as you like, and the action on the outside is merely a reinforcement of that, and it brings it to the attention of other people. Yeah. So if I made a circle or a spiral in my mind, if I closed my eyes and went into a mild shamanic trance and put nothing on paper or on the ground and just visualize the spiral in my mind, it would have a very strong power. Wow. You work with That's individual clients? <laughs> do I work with individual clients? I do not do it often. Um, I do work with individuals. I have a couple of people who come to me on a regular basis with, with um, shamanic issues. They are usually practicing shaman who have need of some second viewpoints or have need of a, a personal cleansing for themselves that they don't feel like they can personally do themselves. Um, usually, in those situations, I will steer them through it. I can do it. I can do it on a phone call. I can do it without phone calls if the person has communicated with me about a time that they're feeling comfortable about having something done. Very much like you know, the energy work of Reiki. You can do it from afar. You can do it near. Um, I, as I said, I don't take on personal clients usually unless they approach me and say, this is what I really need to have, and, and I feel like I can answer their needs. Um, it is not very often that I would do that because I have removed 
to a great extent my personal egoistic values within the work that I'm doing at present. That's why most of the, the spiral work that I do is done anonymously. Don't make a big scene of it, out of it. Although recently I was published on the local paper because someone who knew whose work it was um, actually told the, the photographer about what I was doing, which was nice. I mean, it was a nice compliment to see my work on the local on the cover of the local paper. So. <laughs> But I try not to be egoistic about it, and I try not to invest myself in that way because I'm really trying to do healing work. And I think that as we do more healing work, we need to remove our own egos from our work. If that makes any sense. Um, do you work with children? And if so, maybe tell us the biggest surprises when working with children. I often work with children, um, my own, <laughs> as well as some from school my son goes to, and often anonymously when I am working in playgrounds, I am actually working with children. One of the most amazing things to me sometimes is when I do a spiral, they're, they're designed to not last very long. They get rubbed out. Children play through them for days and days on end. And then I'll come back and I'll look at the spiral that, that I created, which has completely vanished from the playground, and I will see a child walking along and suddenly just go into a spiral around it. You know? and, and, and a similar incident, I was doing some work after... Andy hit up, I'm sorry, after Irene did, did a lot of damage in Vermont a few years back, and I had taken some time to do a very large spiral on a sandbar that had formed in a reservoir, and um, two weeks later, we'd had a number of thunderstorms, and the water had completely washed the spiral away, and a flock of geese had landed, and the geese spiraled in the spiral that I had created that was no longer visible at all. And to my way of thinking, that really cemented the fact that in the natural world, I am creating the vortexes that are making for healing energies. That's beautiful. You do different uh, types of work, um, sculptures. and um, So when you do a sculpture and and leave it in a building or that must have a residence that creates healing. I removed myself from object work for a long time. Okay. And so my work, though it is available and is in a number of museums from the 80s and early 90s when I was doing much more of an object-based practice. Um, most of my work is not out there in that way. Um, I have recently started, again, doing a object-based sculptural practice, and predominantly because my, um, my teaching required that I actually go back into doing objects to teach. Um, when, I, when I was hired by the Carving Studio and Culture Center, I was hired to teach 
stem carving and wood carving to their collegiate classes. And as a result of that, I decided that I would create a few object artworks. And so I imagine that, yes, when they are finally installed wherever they're going, they will be you know, fairly powerful works and hopefully will carry with them the energetic work that I do within them. The most recent one is the one that I was talking about that I had created as a cathartic work. I originally started that specific sculpture as a, um, as a demonstration piece for my students. And as I moved into the demonstration piece and realized that I had been sculpting the torso of my partner, I, I realized that I had been working to be creating a cathartic piece, a piece where I was allowing my artwork to reflect what was going on in my life. Um, my relationship had seemingly vanished, and I had no really good idea or understanding of why it had suddenly dissipated. And so I had been carving a solid piece, and I emptied it out. I hollowed the back of it out. And then when I finally got to the place where I had to say goodbye, I started to carve the spiral, focus on the heart, which is, was a hollow shell at that point. And as soon as I started to focus on the heart, the heart reanimated, and my, my, my partner called me back after not talking for about a month and a half. So it was a very interesting thing to, to witness. I have given that sculpture to her, so it's not likely to show up in museums, although when I gave it to her, I also told her that I might want it back if I decided to, to show it. So well, we'll see. A piece, it sounds like a piece of your work is actually um, helping people heal themselves through art. I'm, hope- <laughs> hmm? I am truly hoping that that is true. Uh, if you're getting you're you're getting replay, you're you're being able to view this. This is tremendous. This is you know what what an artist could ever hope for. <laughs> you know, that's so beautiful. Well, thank you. I, I think you're right. It is what all of us artists hope for. We hope that our work has the effect we choose for it. And I think that that's universally true of almost anyone who creates art, is that their hope is that their art has an impact. And I believe very strongly that, that both my earth art and my sculptural work has an impact. And when it is I, a good feeling. I would say when I've got involved in the artwork that I've done, I, it, it is like <clears throat> it's healing to me to work on it. Uh, in some format, it is reaching my soul, my heart. And, and, if, and if it um, reaches another's heart, that's wonderful. But I also know that it has impact on me personally. Um, and so to be able to know that then what you're doing, um, you know, this is like we're working on another level and we don't even realize it. 
I know as as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking about putting a spiral in my own backyard. <laughs> I love it. Excellent. Yeah. So one of the things that what you were saying just now brought to mind was a lot of artists will have moments where they recognize their own pain and suffering and that then they will take it and they will make art from that. And um, my my brother-in-law, who's a musician here in Vermont, Mark Grand, said to me, when life gives you lemons, make art, you know. And, and that is so true for almost all of us artists that as, as we experience life deeply, we then create art that reflects those, those experiences. And I think that in, in regards to the vast majority of artists, we all go through and recognize the things around us that affect us and then respond to that with our art. And I, and I really believe when you're into your art, whether it's music, writing, um, painting, I think you open up a channel where you're receiving. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you, you open up all kinds of opportunities for universal energetics to flow through you. Absolutely. Do you find yourself, I mean, like uh, any of your art pieces that you like, I'm thinking of a heart structure like stone, do you find yourself trying to embed a color into stone or anything like that or, you know, anything like that that's so hard that you, maybe it would be a little hard to put it in, I don't know, (laughs) maybe a certain kind of shamanic uh, color or bleed from plant life or something I I am not a great colorist in terms of 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 my own work um, my work is much more oriented towards form I have studied and understand a little bit about color uh, about the effects the psychological effects of different colors and in fact in my day-to-day life, I frequently reflect that into what I choose to wear given a situation I am likely to encounter. Um, So, for example, if I need to have a really passionate, strong position, I'll wear red. And if I want to be, you know, received well, to be heard and to um, to be... not intimidating to another person, I'll wear green. Um, those are two examples of what I choose in in terms of the color schemes that I will wear. Um, inculcating that into my artwork, I haven't really done, although um, working with marble, I have the capacity to do that because marble takes stains fairly well. It doesn't hold them forever, but if you're going to make a temporary work, a temporary stain in marble can last for a long, long time. As long as it's not in bright sunlight, that will automatically bleach it out. Does that answer that at all? Yes. Do, do you travel much? 
I don't. In your work? I don't. Um, I travel. I travel New England, and I travel, you know, around a bit. I, I spent some time in Mexico, um, and and I've spent some time in Canada. But I really, I'm not much of a traveler. I actually, um, I did actually spend some time in the desert in northern Nevada and. Um, up in the up in the mountains near Chico, California, a number of years back. But I, I I'm not I I tend to be pretty provincial in terms of my lifestyle. So you have to um, do some of your healing work remotely. <laughs> yes, now this this is going to be off the wall question, but. Um, uh, do you think that crop circles are uh, a form of healing from somewhere? Boy, it is an interesting question. Frequently when I first started doing the spiral work that I do, before a number of people started to recognize what I was doing, people confused it for um, for crop circles. And I was somewhat amused by that. Um, crop circles and their um, and, and the power of communication, I think, are more integrally lost than necessarily healing energy. Though, honestly, I haven't spent any time in a crop circle to know or to read it. Um, one of my friends is a man named Sig Lonegren, and he... Um, he has spent a great deal of time working with crop circles, and yeah, it, it would be it would be a, a really good question to ask him as to whether that energy properties of those are, are tend towards healing or not. I honestly don't know the answer to that one. I would say that crop circles, for me, represent an attempt at communicating very important things, but. What those things reference, I, I don't have an answer. It mostly yeah. has to do with the fact that I really haven't spent a whole lot of time focused on them. It would just be interesting to see you, um, because you're such a sensitive, to have you sit in the middle of one and see how what you feel. That is exactly what I would love to do. After this conversation, I, I you know, it's definitely inspiring me to do some of that. So Maybe I'll uh, what a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what project are you currently working on? Um, right now I'm working on physical healing for myself. I just had some surgery that was important, and I'm taking some time off to be um, very quiet. The vast majority of my other time is spent right now actually teaching um, a series of classes for my son's school, for the kids' at the River Rock School here in Montpelier. Um, they are a free school based loosely on the philosophy of Summerhill. I don't know if you know much about education, but um, A.S. Neal created Summerhill in England in the 1920s, and he ran it for many, many years. Right now his son runs it, and it is a school that is based on the idea that a child is a sponge and will 
um, absorb what they need at the time they need it and that they need to be given the freedom to choose that. Um, it's often called a free school. Um, and, and that's where my son goes to school, and I have agreed to teach a series of sculpture courses for each of the classes in his school. They don't go by grades. They go by four different classes, east, west, north, and south, and each one of them is a different age group. So I have just finished with the north group, which is the oldest children, and we did a project on assemblage, which consisted of creating um, Rube Goldberg-type machines. And next we're going to be doing, I'll be working in the south group, which is the next younger group, and we will be doing um, extractive work using carving tools and plastic. So there's a lot of different things, a lot of different projects that I work on. I have given a lot of thought to what the next most important project to focus on is, and I believe climate change is right up there at the top. Um, so we'll see what I can do and what I can try to generate around that. Um, a group of friends of mine and I are working on changing the language we use so that it is reflective not of such a aggressive and dominance-oriented society, but one of more of a compassionate, heartfelt, and earth-based philosophy. And the language we use is a very, very strong reflection of how we think. And if we can change some of the language, we can change some of the ways we think as a society. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Wow. Is there anything we haven't touched upon, Angus, today that you would like to share with our listeners? Um, nothing except use your intention to get out there and heal the world. The world is in dire need of all of us trying really, really hard to make it a more compassionate, better, healthier, cleaner place. You know, to, you sharing with us today, we get to see the reflection of what we've done, you know, and maybe becoming more in tune with our bodies and, um, and our intention of what we would love to see on Mother Earth and our families around us. Um, it, we can get a playback. It might be quicker than we think. <laughs> I like to think so. Yeah. Uh, well, we appreciate all the work that you're doing for Mother Earth. She really needs it. And and uh, well, having more students to, to to help spread it. Do you want to give out your website to our listeners? Um, I You can see the work that I do on a pretty rudimentary re website that is just my name, jangusmonroe.com. Um, you can check me out on Facebook. I also have a Twitter account, although I don't use it very often. I was realizing today that I don't, I don't dig into the social media quite as much as I once did. Um, but, but feel free to look me up in either of those places. Um, I will ask that if you friend me on Facebook, that, that you have some connection to me. So um, other than that, um, 
yeah, I think that's that's the best I can do. In the hey. studio. Yeah, yes, you can you can look up the the sculpture uh, the carving studio and sculpture center. I'm not sure what their specific um, email address is right off the top of my head, but if you look that up on Google, you'll find it. It's okay, the and uh, carving studio and sculpture center in West Rutland, Vermont. It's carvingstudio.org, I think, isn't it, Taz? I believe you're probably right. Yeah. As I said, it's not in front of me presently. <laughs> but then they have they have a residential students, and there's a lot of good things going on there. Hey, yep. and your name is J, the the letter J, uh, the initial, and then the next, uh, your first name is, or second name is Angus, A N G U S. Yep. And the last name is Monroe. Is M U N R O? Is that the way you say your last name? Yep. Okay. And <clears throat> so, is well, we thank I you just, for uh, <laughs> giving us um, so much insight <laughs> in your work and then things that we can do to help Mother Earth. And thank you for being with us today. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Such a breath of fresh air. Thank you so much. Blessings You're to you and yours. Bye-bye. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good day. Uh-huh. You too. Bye.